All right, everyone. Well, welcome to uh, the latest episode of the Jay Davis podcast. I'm super excited to have Walt Rakowicz with us. Thank you for coming, Walt. Great to be on, Jake. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, uh, super excited to talk to you more. Uh, you've have, have had an amazing career. I actually just ordered your book this week. Uh, so excited to, to jump into it. Uh, but yeah, really excited to talk about lessons around leadership and everything you've learned in your career. So why don't we start with maybe just giving uh, listeners kind of a background of, of what you've done uh, throughout your career and experiences you've had. You know, well, first of all, um, again, Jay, great to be on. Um, I, I, I grew up in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So for those of you who are football fans, um, hope if you don't like the Steelers, that's okay. <laughs> but I, <I'm, laughs> and, and, um, you know, I was a grandson of European immigrants and, um, uh, I, I was very fortunate to hit, uh, the parent lottery. As I say, I had great parents, um, we didn't have, they didn't have a lot, a lot of financial wealth, but there was always a wealth of love and support in the family. And so that, you know, that had a great impact on me and, and, and frankly, my leadership philosophy long-term. Um, I, um, I went to Penn State University, um, and as a resident of Pennsylvania would do and, um, spent four years it, with Price Waterhouse in audit and tax. My, in my early years, went to Harvard Business School and I uh, got an MBA there and, then I moved out to Los Angeles and I cut my teeth in the real estate business. I worked for a company called Trammell Crow um, in, in real estate development. And, um, and after that, um, probably more relevant to your audience, I, I went to work for a startup. I was probably the 20th employee or so uh, hired at the company was ultimately called Prologis. And many of you um, can look us up. Uh, Prologis is one of the largest real estate companies in the world today. Um, back then we were really small. We were a startup. I think today the company has $150 billion of assets. So very large. Um, but I moved up the ranks. I, you know, I was a re regional director, uh, chief financial officer, president, chief operating officer, and then ultimately became the CEO. And, and, um, you know, through, uh, throughout my career, I, I've really become more and more focused on what it takes to be a great leader and what, what great leadership is all about. And, you know, I had plenty of things over my career that, um, you know, influenced my leadership, but probably the most important one is the one I'm just going to spend a minute talking about, if you don't mind. Um, and it yeah. really, it's really the genesis behind the whole, uh, transfluence that I wrote. And, and it's, it relates to the challenges that I had in the great financial crisis and leading up to the great financial crisis in um, 2008. And so um, let me just, I'll just set the stage real briefly, and then you know, this will inform your audience, I think, as to who I am. But really for, for the first 15 years at Prologis, I mean, we're just growing like a weed. We're a darling on Wall Street. We had a really sound strategy, great people, terrific brand. You know, we were the market leader, et cetera. And we had a remarkable run in terms of financial performance. I think we garnered something like a 20% compound annual return for our investors over that 15 year period of time in share price appreciation and dividends, you know, together. And then we went through just prior to 08, I'd say probably 05 or so, we went through a leadership challenge, um, a change in leadership, I should say. And, and it was different. And, and, and in most cases, people don't leave companies, as you know, they leave bosses. And um, yeah. I was the president of the company and my boss was the CEO. 
And um, I mean, I love the company, but I just could not reconcile what good leadership uh, meant to my boss and me. I mean, we just thought about it differently. Um, and on one hand, I had great, great respect for him. And on the other, he's probably one of the most brilliant people I ever met. And on the other hand, I felt marginalized by his need to look brilliant. And I'm sure your listeners probably have had that, um, or in their career. Yeah. And, you know, many times I, you know, I didn't feel listened to. I felt, um, if I had a different opinion, I, I he, you know, he didn't care and I didn't feel trusted. I didn't feel like I agreed with many decisions that we were making. And frankly, there were times that I, I just didn't feel like I was being told the truth. And, um, you know, so I could see a change in the culture happening. We were talking in silos uh, as a management team. We didn't communicate as a team. We didn't talk in the open and we, therefore we made poor investment decisions and ultimately put too much debt on our balance sheet. You know, that's just the bottom line. And, and leading up into 2008, you know, those decisions cost us dearly and we were ill prepared for the great recession. And in January of 08, I decided to go to the board and I, I, our stock was at an all time high. Interestingly enough, I went to the board and I said, guys, I, I'm going to exit stage left. I, I, I get a feeling, I get a real pit in my stomach as to where we are. From the outside in, we look good, but from the inside out, we were, we were rotten and nobody wanted to work there. Um, in 2008, the S&P 500 was down almost 40%. Um, our, our stock was down 95% on January through November of that year. And, and, you know, so we were the third worst performing stock in the S&P 500 and the Wall Street Journal did a, a front page article on us, um, potentially going bankrupt. It was really bad. And the board called me up on November 8th of 08. And they said, look, we're going to make a change. You were right. We need to get, uh, we are going to get rid of the CEO and would like you to be the guy that comes back and runs the company and turns it around. And it took four years of my life. And, uh, and ultimately, um, la last year I published, or I should say two years ago, I published my book, Transformance, which stands for transformative influence. And, um, People ask me all the time, okay, you, you turned her up company around. How'd you do that? And I, I don't, I can't point to any one thing, but I can say this, that the book talks about how good leaders lead. And it starts with the idea that leadership is not about you, but it is about the influence that you have on other people. And that's the bottom line. And if you pay attention to that, yeah. if you service those people, as opposed to servicing yourself. And you take a hard look at yourself and you realize that you're there for them. Um, I will tell you, people will work really, really hard for you. And ultimately, you'll accomplish great things. And that's how I sum it up really in the book. And that uh, sums up my leadership philosophy. And I had four years of wars to prove it. <laughs> we got, ultimately, we got through it. And um, four years later, I, um, I retired and uh, I've been out um, working on corporate boards now. I work on three corporate boards um, and um, I am on the board at Penn State, which is my alma mater. And I um, blog and I write about leadership and I speak about leadership and I have a LinkedIn live show. And now I'm on your podcast talking about. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah. No, I think that is such great wisdom and advice. And I, I think that that's very pertinent to today. I think a lot of people right now, just kind of as a follow-up question to some of that, that people are feeling that fear. Uh, I'm sure 
being in that position in 2008 was probably at times like terrifying of, yep. you know, oh my gosh, now we're here. Any advice that you would give CEOs, entrepreneurs who are leading their companies um, of, of what you maybe did in those moments to kind of, okay, don't, don't overreact. Like what were those things that, that kind of helped you get through that? Because I mean, being in real estate development in 2008, I can't think of a bigger challenge. I mean, that's, <laughs> it was a challenge. Um, you know, people ask me all that time, that all the time, Jay. And it, it, I, I, first of all, I would say we did a number of things on the financial side. I'm not going to focus on that, but I, you know, I was a former CFO and I had truly had one of the best CFOs, um, in REIT land at the time we were a, a REIT, basically a public comp real estate. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about, um, mm. transparency. I think transparency is critically important, um, to not only the people around you, but to, to the, the financial markets and in our case, the investors. And I do think we made some really good financial decisions. We sold, I think over $7 billion of assets, bought back $2 billion of our bonds while, you know, they were cheap and we issued some equity and ultimately we paid off $10 billion of debt. Um, and I think we created tremendous shareholder value through ma many of the financial moves that we made. But the truth of the matter is people ask me all the time, what specific things? Okay. Well, what is specifically what did you do? And I always say, you know, I didn't turn around the company. I led it. Uh, our people turned around the company. I mean, you know, it truly yeah. takes a village of people, if you will. And, and, and they did it by doing a lot of the little things right. And I'm paying attention to the things that they had to do. And I think they did so because we supported them and we believed in them yeah. and we trusted them and they trusted us as leaders. And in other words, we served them and we helped them to succeed, um, you know, and, you know, I know that sounds kind of mushy and gushy and all that stuff, but the truth of the matter is if you come to work with an attitude that it is about you. Long-term, people won't really care or want you to succeed. If you come to work with the yeah. attitude every day that I'm here to serve, what can I do for you? How can I make it easier for you to get done what we're trying to get done within this time frame? Don't get me wrong. You're a leader. You're a CEO. You set the tone and you set the strategy. But at the end of the day, you don't execute. <laughs> you just don't. You have to push people. Yeah. And you have to get them to move in the right direction. They have to want to come to work and kill for you. And the only way you do that is by caring and being influential in their lives. And I think you demonstrate that through the small things. And I say to people all the time, you know, there are two things that I did. I got up every day. I tried to at least get up every day and think of somebody that I could express gratitude to, number one. And that's humility, you know, and, um, I think people notice that. And the second thing is I've got up every day and I said, how can I be positively influential to somebody today? And I think if you wake up with that attitude, who can I be grateful to? Who can I influence? Who can I help? I actually think that they will make sure that you're successful. Not even on purpose. They just will because they want to work for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it. There's actually uh, an economist, uh, Arthur C. Brooks, who talks a lot oh. about 
I've read people who are happy at work. Yeah. He's fabulous. And and he is I love so it. Fun. He really is. Um so yeah. yeah. That's my overarching thing. Well, I love that. I th- I think that's yeah. And again, trans trans great fluent. advice for people. Yeah. Transflux is the name of the book. Yeah. About how can you be transformatively influential in the lives of others? Think think that every day and you will succeed. Yeah. So expressing gratitude every day. Who can I have a positive influence on today? Every day. Love it. Well, I think that leads right into, uh, you know, one of the things I love hearing from people who have had amazing experiences and have a lot of uh, wisdom to share is what are some of the things that changed uh, maybe ideas you had about the world or views of the world or views of business? What, what things changed over time from, from maybe when you were in college and, and younger in your career to as you gained experience, like, man, I didn't think that was true. Or maybe I, I rejected this idea or didn't think people were just like, you kind of said like, ah, that's just mushy stuff. And then yeah. realize like, no, that's, that is a hundred percent spot. What, what were some of those ideas that shifted over time? Well, I would say, you know, if I look back into high school and college, the thing that, um, I think you were graded on your intellectual performance. In other words, grades were the measure yeah. and of success, right? Yeah. And so there were no intangibles. It's just very tangible. A is better than a B. And the people that got the A's were <laughs> yeah. actually, they were intellectual performers, right? Um, it didn't matter if you'd rather work for the guy who got the B. It just mattered that the A was better. <laughs> and so the A was better, yeah. than, better than C and so forth, right? And it was very binary. It's like, you know, intellectual, it was smart kids got the A's. Okay. But of course, that's not the way life works. And, um, we had a, a leadership, uh, speaker come in. We were doing a merger with a company. We had a leadership speaker come in and talk, um, about culture. And his name was JP Polly Fry. You can look him up. Anyway, he, um, he, he had to, he took the room. There was a hundred people in the room and he, Divided the room in half and he gave each person in the room three posted notes. Okay. And he said, now everybody in the right side, I want you to think about the leader that had the best that you liked the best in your life. And I want you to write three characteristics down about that leader and everybody in the left side of the room. I want you to take the worst leader you ever had in your life. And I want you to write down the three characteristics that you least liked about or why the three characteristics about the leader, right? He divided the room in half. Then he put a whiteboard on both sides. Okay. And he took the whiteboard and he wrote, he wrote three things down on the whiteboard, three columns, IQ, TQ, and EQ. IQ meaning intellectual qualities, TQ meaning technical qualities, and EQ meaning emotional qualities. Then he said, I want you to take these posted notes, walk up to the room, and I want you to post the notes under one of the three columns as to why you liked the leader or didn't like the leader. In other words, was it he or she, their technical qualities, intellectual qualities, or emotional qualities? Well, as you can imagine, 99.9% of the notes as to whether or not people loved the leader or didn't love a leader went under EQ. Okay. EQ matters. It didn't matter when I was in high school. Yeah. Didn't matter when I was in college. Maybe 
Maybe it did for the people I hung out with, but certainly not as to how it was being graded. But in your professional life, yeah. EQ, which is to say, do you listen to people? Do you empathize with people? Do you give them credit? Do you interact with them? How do you treat them? EQ wins. Don't get me wrong. You got to have a certain level of TQ and IQ to get there. And my guess yeah. is all of your listeners probably have that in one way, shape, or another. But without EQ, you got nothing. And and yeah. that and that's what that's how you get graded every day. And that's the difference in my world between or the, the way I think about it between the way I used to think when I was a kid and the way I used to think when I was in college about what was important and the way I think about it today. I think that's so needed. I, I was actually talking to my little brother last night about kind of uh, this hustle grind culture that's really popular among among kind of college kids today of like how to win every deal, how to always win the negotiation, how to out hustle everyone. And I think it misses that like, yeah, those are technical skills that learning to negotiate is great, but uh, it often leads them into a place where they turn into jerks. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that it's, it's, we're missing a lot of that of like people, like you said, they want to follow someone who treats them well, listens to them, collaborates well. And I, I think we see so many examples of that, uh, throughout, throughout successful business. Yeah. So Jay, I'm as, I'm as competitive as the next person. I, I mean, I really am. I'm a very competitive person. You, look, you don't, you don't rise to the top in in any organization unless you're competitive and you want to win i want to win okay don't get me wrong yeah but i don't want to win selfishly and i think you can win without being selfish i i think you can be selfless and win i think you you know yeah um, and and you know when you talk about um you know the grind and all that stuff yeah i mean life is a grind um business is a grind getting a business started is a grind but you have to be cognizant of the fact that you shouldn't grind on people, that everybody isn't in your boat, okay? You may be in your boat, but everybody else isn't. And, and you got to put yourself where they are. And you'll get your grind. You'll get yeah. your grind, okay? But, you know, don't forget about all these people around you. You need them. You can't do it on your own. And that's what we got to remember yeah. and keep in mind. So, yeah. It's not you against your employees. I love that. Um, as you as you were doing this turnaround, I mean, I, I think you a lot of these are amazing principles. It's what really leads people out. What were some of the some of the challenges though of of implementing that strategy, which is in some ways uh, a more unique strategy? Or are there other examples where you wanted to do something that? People initially were like, I don't know if that's going to work. And, and how did you push that idea through? How did you help people see your vision? So that's a really great question. And, and you have to keep in mind that the, um, if, if I had to describe the person in front of me, and again, I had great respect for him um, and his intellectual qualities um, and his technical qualities. Yeah. Um, where he lacked was an EQ, but he, he, he was, um, I would say rule, he kind of was Napoleonic in the way that he went about, um, if you will, leading the company. Um, yeah. and I, I, 
I came to work here, you talk about unique. I mean, I think the one thing about being unique is you take a risk. Um, and in doing so, you become more vulnerable to those around you. But um, because you never know if they're going to respond or not. But ba basically, my uniqueness um, came in my management philosophy, um, which was different than his. Now, don't, now part of it, you got to remember that I had been with the company for years and years and years. So many of the people knew type of person I was. So perhaps it wasn't as unique, but it was certainly different than his. Um, and I'll give you a story that exemplifies this. And um, I think it'll, it'll, you know, it'll come home to you as to what I'm talking about. Um, something happened to me that if I handled the wrong way, could have backfired. Um, we're all sitting around a room um, late at night. In fact, it was after midnight. And we were on the verge of bankruptcy. And one of my financial person people said to me, well, Walt, um, we are on the verge of blowing somewhere in the neighborhood of $7 billion in bond covenants. In other words, our bonds that have certain covenants, earnings covenants associated with them, um, thresholds, if you will. And if you don't meet them, the bondholders will call the bonds and if they call the bonds that puts you into bankruptcy basically well we're on the verge of blowing those and this was in december of 2008 and i said well when when will we blow them and he said by the first quarter of 09 and i immediately turned white i mean i was i could feel this sort of rush into my face i, I was just thinking oh my god and about running a company that was in bankruptcy imagine you know, now that's the next three years of your life working out bankruptcy and you know crazy right and um i said and i got really white in the face and i said you guys mind if i just take a quick break and they said no no that's fine Walt." i said just give me a couple minutes i just gotta you know get my head straight here um i walked down the hallway and i i started to feel myself faint and i could see a desk in the distance and a chair next to it um and i sort of tried to beeline to that thing as quickly as I could, and I didn't make it. And in missing the chair, my head, I fell, and my head hit the corner of the desk and split my, my head open on the left, left side of my head and knocked me out. And I was on the floor for what turned out to be about 10 minutes and blood on the carpet and stuff like that. And then I woke up, and for about 30 seconds, I had no idea where, where I was. It was dark outside. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God, all these people are in this room waiting for me. I looked at my watch, and I realized I had been gone for, at that time, almost 20 minutes. And I quickly went in, and I sutured up my head in the bathroom. I got it to stop bleeding, walked in, and, and I said, okay, well, let's talk about this bankruptcy issue. And my CFO said, no, Walt, let's talk about that egg on your head first. What in the heck happened? And... The first thing that hit me is I was busted. And um, and then I looked at everybody in the room. And I said, you know what? I got to tell you something. You guys mentioned the, word, the B word to me. And I have no idea how to solve this problem. The previous CEO would have told you all the things confidently that we needed to do. But none of them would have been right. And I said, I'm going to tell you the truth. I have no idea what to do. <laughs> and I said, the only solution here is that you guys need to come up with this and come back to me and I'll tell you if we should, we're going to do it or not because I'm in, I'm in charge, but I have no idea what to do. 
And I realized that vulnerability can actually be a very powerful tool. Yeah. Not always, but it actually helps you to garner support and trust in difficult situations because everybody knows what you're going through, right? And it can be the most uncomfortable thing for a leader to say, yet powerful because it's human and it's the ultimate expression of honesty. And I think by letting your guard down sometimes as a leader, you invite others to do so. And guess what? That's where real communication happens. Yeah. So I learned from that. And I think about being unique. Um, and I think the most important thing you've got to have is courage in yourself and confidence to be unique. I had courage. I actually was fairly fearless in some respects. I didn't fear. But... Um, I wasn't sure if my philosophy would work. It's a softer philosophy. Um, it's less Napoleonic. And I don't tell people what to do. I point them in the right direction. I give them a lot of credit. And I prop them up. And generally speaking, great ideas come out. Not from me, but from them. And I think part of doing something unique is, you know, knowing your audience, um, doing your homework and as much as you can in advance, knowing who you're working with. And it's gained through experience and it allows you to be unique. Um, but at the end of the day, there's no question that everybody's looking at me as the CEO saying, well, okay, you really, you don't have the answers. Oh my God. <laughs> and you, know, you just I, hit your head. <laughs> you know, and it all worked out. And you know, it's interesting. They did come back about 30 days later. They had a plan that was a great plan. We ended up um, selling um, our entire China operation and uh, half of our Japan operation. We generated a billion and a half dollars in cash and we paid down some of those bonds and it bought us some time to renegotiate some of the covenants in the bonds. And, you know, it was really a brilliant strategy, although, you know, we dinged ourselves and we had to get out of certain parts of the world. But, um, you know, we ended up coming up with a strategy that worked and I, I cannot take credit for that. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of really good people that felt empowered to come up with it. It's amazing what you, and I think what, what you were saying about being vulnerable, it also increases so much trust, uh, uh, when you do have those moments where you let the guard down, I think people really appreciate that you trust them enough to be vulnerable with them. Uh, and I think it opens up that that world of hey let's let's use the the power of all of us collectively instead of me just dictating like Napoleon this yeah. is the plan here's what we're gonna do yeah uh, so I love and, that yeah and but I will say you use the word trust in, in my book I, I I say that trust trust is the most important currency of business remember that yeah. your audience remembers that trust it's not money. Trust is the most current, important currency of business. Um, Howard Schultz, who's the CEO of Starbucks, says that transparency is the currency of business. And I do agree with him because transparency creates trust. Uh, but ultimately, yeah. we're all in business to create trust. Um, and if we do, uh, we'll enhance our long-term success. No question about it. Love it. Uh, one of the other things I want to ask if the, if there was uh, kind of a singular lesson uh, 
if you imagine having someone that you're mentoring and uh, if there was a single lesson that you could just insert into that person's brain, uh, matrix style, you have to accept this. What would be that one key lesson that you just were like, just don't try and learn this the hard way. Learn it from me. Okay. What would that be? I once did a business, did it, uh, I did once did business, not, I didn't do a deal. I once did business with a commercial real estate broker who I misled. Um, I told him that I would do one thing. And in the end, circumstances caused me to move in a different direction. And I didn't do what I said I was going to do with him. Um, and I didn't have to take that direction. Truth of the matter is that it was just the easiest way out without going into the details. And I didn't do a good job of explaining my decision to him. And I ignored him. And I, I took the easy way out. And I've come to realize that all we really have is our reputation in life. And our integrity shapes that reputation. And a good reputation will always create trust. As I said, trust is the most important currency of business. Trust creates long-term success. I think trust is, is created through doing, always doing what you say you're going to do. And if you can't do it, yeah. communicating and explaining why, um, but trying to always do what you say you're going to do, no matter what the temptation is or circumstances, whether they be, I'll make more money by doing this, whether they be time constraints, I have to do it this way because it's, I, I don't have the time, um, whether it be the will to survive or just the fact that it's easier in my case. Um, do what you say you're going to do, even if that becomes the most difficult thing. And I would, I would add to that because it, it, it involves the word integrity is show integrity and honesty in all you do. And I'll give you another really quick story. Um, when I was CEO, there was a guy that uh, was badgering me, absolutely badgering me, calling me constantly about something that was bothering him. He was an investor. And um, my administrative assistant, I talked to him several times, my administrative assistant saw that I was struggling with this, this person. And um, one day he called and she said, um, you know, she's trying to cover for me. And she just said, you know, he's not here. Um, he'll, he's, he'll be in Europe for the next 10 days. So I don't know if he's going to be able to get back to you. When in fact, I was in Denver right there. And I downloaded with her every, every night. And I said, what happened today? And she said, oh, by the way, X, Y, and Z called today. And I said, oh. And she said, um, yeah, but I know you don't want to talk to him. And so I told him that you're in Europe. And I said to her, you know, I, I just want you to know one thing. And I said, I don't ever, ever want you to lie on my behalf. I don't care how painful it is to me. And I do appreciate you trying to do the right thing, but it is actually, it's not the right thing. And I, I, I let me handle that. Um, and, and I don't want you to ever lie on my behalf. And she said, wow, uh, no one's ever said that to me. And I said, um, well, just know that that's the way I want, you know, this to be treated. And I think the most important takeaway from that 
is that she knew that I would never lie to her. And actually, um, she could trust me. And whether it be one-on-one or whether it be um, to groups of people that I always spoke to, I think the most important thing is we have to build trust in this world. And, um, you know, it relates to our reputation. And I think you do that by doing what you say you're going to do, no matter how painful it is or hard it is. Um, and if you can't communicate, why not? And, and showing integrity and honesty and all you do. And that's the bottom line. Love it. Oh, that's a great story. Uh, I think, I think that changes a lot of things in the world. If we, if we just did what we said and treated each other with respect and had integrity, it's, it's so seems so simple, uh, but very, very profound impact. Well, uh, thank you so much for spending time. I mean, this has been amazing. Uh, usually, usually we try and keep it to 20 minutes and time has just flown because it's been so enjoyable to listen to some of these stories and learn from you. Uh, anything you would ask people, uh, kind of a call to action, obviously go buy your book. Uh, I'm super excited to read through it. Um, any other things that you're working on or, or would love to kind of bring to people's attention? Yeah, no, I, nothing that I'm working on felt called, you know, say, read the book, but I will leave you with this. Um, you know, I, I was, um, a couple of years ago, I was on a, um, call, uh, with a, with a CEO by the name of Ed Bastian, who's the CEO of Delta airlines. And, you know, I, I, I gotta tell you, he's, he's a fabulous leader and Delta was in the midst of, um, revenues being down 80% due to COVID. And he said, this is a time that we're anointed for. He said, this is a blessing, not a burden. He said, this is an amazing chapter in our lives. And what an honor and a privilege it is to be a CEO. of this company. And I thought to myself, my God, are you kidding me? Revenue is down 80%. And I realized that no matter how difficult things are, we need to always be positive in our lives. And, uh, you know, I probably, when I was early on in my career, I probably should have embraced positivity a little bit more. You know, I, you know, I just wasn't experienced. And when negative things happened, I let them get to me. But I'll tell you what, your attitude matters in life. It really does. And, you know, we need to consider our crucible moments as an honor and a privilege. We really do. And, um, you know, be positively influential to those around us. Because you know what? They're watching. And I'll just yeah. leave you. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Walt. Absolute pleasure to have you on and to hear and learn from you. Uh, super excited to to continue to learn from you as I read the book. And thanks again for coming. Oh, Jay, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, Happy New Year. Same to you. I thanks can again. still sign that. <laughs>